Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Ryan Heatrick is a producer, director, teacher, brain injury specialist that has worked in the behavioral health field utilizing ABA, CBT, and floor time with neurodiverse clients for more than 15 years. He's taught vocational training courses in acting and filmmaking for the nonprofit organization Actors for Autism and AFA Hub, where he's currently a senior program supervisor. Several years ago, while working with a behavioral client, a family and doctor introduced him to the idea that autism was a medical condition that was treatable. Other friends, colleagues, and families had a hard time believing and conceptualizing this possibility, and thus the idea was created to make the Restoring Balance Autism Recovery Documentary. And this film is finished and is now being shown with great success, I'm happy to say. And Carol Ryan won the Roy Dean Award for this film, Restoring Balance Autism Recovery, right? Yes, he did, Claire. And we're very proud of the work that Ryan's done on this film. It's incredible. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, Claire. Always happy to be here, and it's a, it's an honor to be with you guys today. So thanks again. You're so welcome. We want to learn how you're using virtual screenings to distribute this film. So let's discuss some information about autism first, because I understand that the rates are increasing around the world and that diagnosing rates have increased from one uh, in two, two, one in 44 children. In other words, Wow, used to be one in 350 and then one in 100, and now it's down to one in 44. So, and I understand that over half of the autism rate is still unexplained, and we have not attempted to address the root cause. But meanwhile, thousands of families are recovering their children from the symptoms that we know as autism by adopting a biomedical approach. So this is what we want to learn about. Tell us what that is. Yeah, so un- unfortunately, uh, the rates are still increasing in, in these ep- epidemic proportions almost exponentially. Um, you know, I should just note, because a lot of people have two common things about that, you know, is it just a better diagnosis? Um, University of California, Davis, did a study on that several years ago and showed that, at least in the state of California, that that was not true. The increase was not due to better uh, diagnosis and understanding of the condition, so they just proved that. And uh, in, in addition, you know, genetics, people talk about that, but they've really only isolated a very few small number of genes, and usually it's in less than 5 or 10% of the children, and the genetic component is, is varied, meaning it's not like the same genes for every 
kids. So, um, you know, it's still really not figured out why is this happening? Why is it still growing? And also the CDC just announced that one in six children have a developmental disability. So like other than autism, like ADHD, maybe bipolar, you know, uh, speech or learning issues. Um, And so this documentary is supposed to, you know, help change that situation because um, if we look at it and like reverse engineer it, you know, we can see that these families that are cleaning up the kids' diet, uh, you know, they've measured for toxins and all these other things. So they're finding out that these seem to be the cause because when they eliminate those, the children can uh, get better. And so that's what we're trying to show. Wait a minute. One in six children have learning problems? Was that what you said? Yeah, a developmental disability. So, it, you know, wow. autism classifies as that. But, um, you know, there are other conditions, like I said, ADHD or, or something that maybe is more minor but is still going to cause challenges. You know, they have to either take extra classes or maybe be held up a year or uh, you know, situations like that. And so it's really getting to a point where society is going to have to, like it costs, the, the cost of autism is getting astronomical. It's like five or ten times the cost of diabetes. Um, and that's already bankrupting society. So if this number keeps going up, you know, we're going to have, where we're taking care of too many children and then, of course, adults. Um you know, and, and it's really tough. I mean, I also work at a vocational training program, and so it, it, there's a lot of challenges there, and we have to try to solve this as early as we can because as a society, we can't afford to do this. Money, time, and, yeah, it's, it's a lot of suffering for the families and children. Wow. Okay, so um, now from what I understand is that parents are treating autism as a medical condition with behavioral symptoms and doctors and researchers have discovered that children with autism show elevated levels of brain inflammation, toxic chemicals, nutritional deficiencies, well, autoimmune conditions. That must be horrible to have your head hurting all the time and you're so young that you can't communicate, that you're in great pain. Is that what's going on? Yeah, at the be- at the beginning of our documentary, you'll, you'll see there are a couple uh, young adults who are hitting themselves with self-abusive uh, injury, and you know about thirty percent of those with autism have some kind of self-abusive behavior, um, and so a lot of this has shown that it is like pain-related. It can be on the gut or in the head, and you know, basically what they're finding out is that autism is like an acquired brain injury from like toxins or this auto intoxication from, you know, compounds that can't be broken down in the body. A lot of them are outside toxins that normal, you know, neurotypical children might be able to excrete those chemicals, um, but they kind of build up in children with autism and, they cause this like inflammatory cycle where the brain and the body can't get rid of things that are causing inflammation and just makes inflammation worse. And when they get stuck in this stage in early development, you know, that messes up language and socialization and all kinds of other things. And and if that fire isn't really put out because the brain injury, just like other brain injuries, 
can be recovered from, but if the inflammation isn't turned off, uh, it's it's really hard to do that. It's an uphill battle. Oh yeah, they're in pain all the time. Oh my goodness. Um, but your film shows people how to change their diet and how you can improve autism. I was truly amazed when I was watching it um, to one of the children that was addictive uh, to cheese or how addictive cheese is for all of us. I gave up cheese a few years ago. It was the best thing I ever did for me. But one of the children in your film was unable to talk and had no eye contact. And this was the mother talking about this. And she said she took him off a dairy for four days. He was crying. He was unbearable. And then the next morning when she put him in the high chair, he picked up a spoon and said his first sentence. He said, this is a red spoon. What a shocking experience. I just love that story. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, that was uh, Jennifer and Gideon, and uh, you know he, he's come such a long way, and, and she's really just been a model uh, parent for all this. Just honor Jennifer so much. Um, but basically, why that happened on on a biochemical level is that you know these children have more extreme leaky gut than most people. I'm not sure if people have heard of leaky gut. It's getting more familiar, but basically. Um, these tight junctions in your intestines are supposed to keep things in your intestines and not let it into the bloodstream. With, you, with chronic inflammation, you can get holes basically there. Stuff leaks into your bloodstream that shouldn't be there. When that floats in around, your body freaks out, says these are food particles, they're not supposed to be in the blood. And, um, you know, casein that's from like cheese products and milk products, it actually has a component called casomorphine. And so when these food particles get in the bloodstream, they can also get into the brain. And that casomorphine does act like an opiate. And so it's more extreme with the kids because they're basically getting more of the opiate compounds than the average person because Uh of that extreme leaky gut. But it also causes... uh, an autoimmune condition that focuses on their folate receptors, which uh, is for like cognition. So the milk like causes these auto antibodies, they call them to these folate receptors and they become really deficient in folate. And, you know, that's again, something else for cognition and behavior. Um, And so they found that when you cut out dairy and cut out the casein that causes this autoimmune condition, you know, dramatic improvements uh, have, have, you know, been seen. But the average, you know, the average group of people in society are finding out what it's like to have food allergies because our food keeps getting more polluted. And, you know, there's also a lot of glyphosate uh, in regular conventional dairy because the cows eat a bunch of contaminated grains and, and food, and so they get full of glyphosate, which is just another toxin that's kind of been implicated uh, in autism and in digestive health, uh, you know, issues. So, but anyway, um, you know, that's why he had such a dramatic turnaround and some children take longer than just a few days for that to happen. But, um, it's definitely possible. They, parents talk about how like a fog has been lifted or they come out of looking like they're high or, you know, and, and they're more present. Uh, with the family members. Oh, it's wonderful. 
And what's so great is that you are, are really connected to the mothers, so that uh, they and they share information. They are empowering each other through this process, right? Yeah, I mean the the mothers have helped me with not only like getting interviews and and finding you know who was there that was going to give a compelling interview, but also with the connections. Um, so, you know, a lot of these mothers have been integral in setting up uh, connections for our screenings or, like I said, interviews with professionals that I had a hard time contacting in the initial stages of it. Um, so the networks really, really helped, and I think it was because they resonated so much, you know, with our message. And then, you know, the organizations and all that just, like, kept growing. So. Um, it was really helpful to kind of get close to them and, and share with them the motivation, like, behind the project. And so from this, you created a good database of people through the mothers, right, and the organizations? Yeah, that was really helpful for some of those last stages of, of funding as well because they were the most sympathetic to, like, why this message was, you know, trying to get, out there so whether it was an organization or a family a lot of them were like wow someone's uh finally here telling one of our stories you know and we want this to get out to the world and so it, it was uh aside from helping financially with that it was really refreshing and motivational you know to talk to other people that like wanted your product or your film to succeed absolutely that's right so it's uh, getting close to your audience. I've always said that's so important, and this actually has helped you tremendously because these are the people you're making the film for. So being in contact during the shooting and getting them to help you distribute it is the perfect way to get the the message out and to make some money back for you for all the thousands of hours you put into this film because – this is what is it, Ryan? Is it four years now you've worked on this? Uh, yeah, you know, there's the unofficial starts and and then the official. <laughs> I mean, I think I started, I think I started filming it as early as 2015. But you know, I started some of the concepts back in like 2013. You know, with with trying to figure it out. I mean, we it it kind of fell on its face at first because we we did it another way that was way more expensive, which was to try to find families and take them from the beginning and all this. Um, but I found out that that was expensive. So through trial and error, we found a way to do it, though. <laughs> Great. Well, you've done a marvelous job because the film is brilliant. Uh, so now let's talk about virtual screenings for fundraising uh, because you've, done, you've been working with Keith at Show & Tell, dot film so tell us uh, about your experience there with virtual screenings did you learn uh, um, how to have them and uh, how to ask for partnerships yeah so uh, you know show and tell is fantastic they have an online database of educational videos and highly recommend checking those out uh, they have really reasonable rates for like subscription and they also give you, there's a package where they'll give you virtual screening licenses basically. Um, and I would say that 
you know, their, their Facebook groups and these regular meetings, just trying to watch them, the recordings, uh, they'll motivate you to figure out what are the next steps for your film, uh, motivate you because you see other filmmakers having success, you know, asking for funds or making partnerships. Um, so it's a really great real-time blueprint for all of that and an educational resource. So, you know, we use Show and Tell's platform for our first uh, virtual screenings, and it's, it's worked out really well, honestly. Uh, I, I think even better than what I would have planned for in person. And uh, because all this happened, you know, I mean, of course, we felt pressure to do in-person ones, but identifying who our audience was, uh, you know, mothers with uh, special needs children, it's actually really hard for them to get to the theater anyway, you know. And yes. so um, it, 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 it was, ended up being better that it, it was online and more accessible uh, to everybody. Right. So, um, all right, so you learned from Keith how to ask a partner, uh, ask people to partner with you. Tell us how you, what that was like. Yeah, so, uh, you know, really honing in on, like, what the ask is and the, the benefit. So finding out the other organizations that have similar motives to us and getting this word out either about, you know, natural treatment for autism or ADD, biomedical approach. Um, those organizations seemed like they were the most willing, but it was coming up with like a pitch that made it sound like a win-win, you know, for, for both of us. And, um, you know, Keith suggests starting out with a certain amount of money for asking, and definitely that's hard at the beginning. I ended up negotiating some of the fees with other ways that they could give back to us because I know, you know, it depends on who your audience is and the organizations. We were reaching out to a, a lot of nonprofits, and so, you know, they maybe didn't have several thousand dollars to, like, sponsor it at first. Um, but, again, they were motivated to, like, make something work, and it was really just about kind of honing the pitch and finding the right person to talk to and then, you know, setting up a Zoom or a phone call to make that happen, to finish the process. And what was the most saleable numbers? Did you offer uh, these organizations or nonprofits a percentage of the income for the virtual screenings? Yeah, so for some of the ones in the beginning uh, where we were getting more money or resources from them, I did try to negotiate, you know, a percentage back. And so for some of those that seemed to work out well, I mean, we were able to, you know, give a donation of uh, almost $300 to a doctor's uh, office to, like, revamp their toys and their play area for, you know, I mean, so there were ways to give back, but that same organization, aside from giving us a little bit up front, um, they also offered like a consultation for the families. So it was part of like uh, something to raffle off. And they helped us with a partnership to another organization. Um, you may have heard of Mary Ruth's Organics. You know, it's a supplement company. Um, but they had partnered with this doctor's office and they had agreed to give us like $800 basically in products to kind of, you know, uh, 
give away as people who were signing up for the screening. So there were a lot of things where we were able to like give back to the community and have them support us in other ways that were enticing to, to families. And we started out on a model when, when the film wasn't finished quite yet, we were having uh, people pay for individual tickets uh, in addition to getting, you know, either prizes or money from those sponsors. And then we've kind of shifted to uh, looking for sponsors that were willing to put more money up front so that it could stay free for the audience. We've just kind of identified that, you know, the audience has already kind of financial restrictions. And then, of course, uh, modern times right now, there's just a lot of inflation and things going on. So, you know, we're really trying to make it more affordable for the family members by asking organizations to put up more money up front. Uh, and so that has, that's been uh, good so far. So we've kind of done both models. Oh, that is marvelous because the mothers that you interviewed, I heard them say um, that they have to buy organic and they're very smart. They have to buy organic, and they uh, they spend a lot of money on food for their children. They feed them the very best, three good meals a day. And she said something about forget vacations, forget this, forget that. We This is our focus, good food, a lot of attention, and training to our children. So, of course, they, you know, $10 might not be... Uh, a lot to some people, but it could be to a, a mother who's taking care of her child on her own. That uh, is very kind of you, Ryan. Yeah, so we, you know, we tried to also figure out ways that we could get some revenue that would be reasonable. And, you know, in terms of, we also cut together some episodes, which have been sort of another source. Like, if people want to go deeper with the documentary. Because uh, it's kind of just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a lot of great information in the the film, and but the the families usually have to go deeper. And so one of the things we did, there was a lot of extra footage on the cutting room floor, and you know we decided to cut it into like so far there's 12 episodes that are like a half an hour each, and they're in different categories like diet or supplements, uh, you know, just organization and motivation stuff like that from the parents, and. Um, so, you know, we've tried to have a few other areas for uh, the, the revenue source. And like I said, we'll talk about later the PBS underwriting, hopefully, as well. Well, let's talk about it right now. I think that's really important. Um, you're learning from Keith about that, right? Tell us what your plan is. Yeah, so uh, in terms of the next steps for the film, you know, we're going to be doing virtual screenings at least throughout the year and uh, moving also into the educational market. But, you know, Keith has shown several success stories of other films that have gone on to uh, have, have a PBS run through a, an organization called NIDA. Uh, they help independent producers, uh, you know, get their film uh, organized on other broadcast stations. They kind of take a look at your film first, so we're actually in that process where they're uh, taking a look now to see if it's a good fit. Um, you just have to kind of cut your film down, which we, we did have to take it from an hour and 20 minutes to uh, closer to 60 minutes. But, you know, the underwriting gives the opportunity for to reach out to other funding organizations that might have a 
similar motive of getting this biomedical autism information out. And, you know, they could pay us directly as basically a marketing or advertising campaign because you're selling the timing at the beginning of the PBS spot. You know, there's these advertising pods. Everyone's seen this show is brought to you by. There's like some voiceover and a logo. You know, some people have paid anywhere from ten to $75,000 for one 15-second spot you know, because it's a commercial and it may also air from one to three years. So that's kind of a commercial, you know, for that organization on a in-demand network. Um, and so that's a whole other pitch that we're, we're learning to do, you know, to organizations once hopefully mm-hmm. that goes through. Um, but, but that's kind of another side stream of revenue that Keith said a lot of filmmakers um, don't know about. And honestly, I, until I discovered uh, show and tell and got into this in the past year, I didn't really understand the capability uh, of it as well. Well, um, who, what type of companies or organizations would you go after to, uh, to come up with that type of money? Um, well, you know, like I said, nonprofits might not be, it, it, it really depends on like who you're going to go with, uh, you have to kind of reach high and low and it takes a while to figure out who's willing to do that. So it basically Mm -hmm. is about making a spreadsheet of all these organizations and reaching out to them and kind of seeing who would be willing to bid the highest, you know, to have that spot on there. And so it's usually going to be trying to negotiate with their marketing department. Um, And Keith had suggestions where, Um, you know, you kind of just are going to set up a a pitch as if you were pitching to these companies for the individual screenings, but it's more about being in line with the message and the advertising. So you're not just really selling them the advertising, but basically stating like, you know, if this film stands for a lot of things that you stand for, then that's why, you know, they would want to promote it. And so um, we haven't, started to talk yet because one thing that Nita does that does help the filmmaker is if they give you approval and say, we plan on helping you to schedule your film for PBS broadcasting, they'll actually give you a letter that says that. And so Uh you can present that letter of intent to the other fundraisers as just, you know, validity. And they also said that they have a package that shows PBS statistics, you know, like viewer statistics and uh, oh, great. How, yes. they, how they engage. And so um, that, that's a good thing for filmmakers to investigate. Well, let me ask you, can you go to people like that Ion Balance? That's something you put me on to five years, four or five years ago, and I'm still using that for diet and for digestion. Can you go to a product, or is that illegal? Um, I think that you can actually go to a product as long as the product doesn't have a mention or placement uh, kind of in the film. You know, so they, and I think that's on a case-by-case basis based on how much it's mentioned. So um, on Nita's website, they have a link to the PBS parameters for uh, underwriting limitations. Um, You know, they have some limitations on content 
understand like what things are connected to um, if anything's for like a mature audience or, or, you know, certain things like that. Um, but in terms of products, I think that you are allowed with certain companies. It just depends on if and how often they're mentioned in the actual documentary. Okay. Because, uh, that, um, recipe you gave me for my smoothie years ago has made me very healthy. And so, uh, the protein powder, that was nature's way, and uh, the brewer's yeast, uh, blue bonnet or whatever it was you recommended. I mean, those things are fabulous. I wonder if you could go after those people. Yeah. Uh, basically, we plan to go to all the supplement companies. Um, you know, there are other organizations that still pitch biomedical treatments uh, that are run by other physicians and, and doctors, you know, so we'll go to those organizations. Um, there are many doctors, nutritionists, and other practitioners that are part of, you know, organizations. Um, like, for instance, there's one in Colorado called Lighthouse, and it's this group of practitioners that basically treats uh, children from a biomedical standpoint, but they see people internationally and even you know, wherever in the States you can see them remotely. Um, so, you know, an organization like that might be interested in, you know, promoting their services in, in something that's in line with it, with them. Yes, that's brilliant. So you have a, you have a list, a hit list to go after, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, this yeah, is exactly. Wonderful. Well, tell me, when you were making the film, what did you do with your uh, social media to help fund and build your audience? Yeah, so, you know, at first, uh, honestly, like every other filmmaker, I'm like, we're supposed to have a social media account, but what the heck do we post about? It's like, what, what do people want to see? Um, you know, and just give updates about the film or what do I do? And it, it went back into finding out um, how to be valuable to the audience. You know, I always remember what Tony Robbins said is that if you can find a way to be valuable to your audience, then they'll just kind of come to you because you have something to offer. And so, um, you know, we tried to post like a lot of these other uh, autism groups and it, it was hard to compete with them until we realized that our niche was the videos of what we recorded and not really that many other people had those types of videos, especially short videos that explain things well. So when we started like that series and fo focusing on that as like the key piece, um, it was the engagement came a lot more naturally and then we just kind of knew what to post about. And that just built other connections. You know, I think, um, and opened more doors. Some people just think that, you know, social media is going to get me this number, and then other people will think I'm influential based on this number. Um, but I think that engaging with your audience meaningfully, if you know who that audience is, you know, all those mothers and other doctors have seen these short little videos on Facebook, and they're not that they weren't impressed with the documentary, but they're like, oh, these short videos are so great. They explain so many things, and, you know, they're motivated to share and ask me questions and it's uh, opened doors with other opportunities because of just those short videos. And it was basically repurposing stuff in the documentary or all of the bonus 
material, like I said, that we cut up into episodes, just kind of repurposing all those clips into just shorter segments and um, branding them kind of for social media. And, you know, that's worked really well in terms of helping our engagement. Okay, so that drives people to your website, and then you collect their names on your site? Yeah, so, you know, we try to get, like, grow our email list by offering people uh, a little sample of some of the bonus episodes and, you know, things like that. And so it really helps with that mailing list. And like I said, a lot of the people end up reaching back out or helping to spread the word. Um, You know, it it helps on social media when people are like naturally motivated to share your post because it's helpful to them, you know, and I think if you can figure out whatever that is in your film topic, uh, how to be interesting or helpful to your audience to, to show something new, and that's probably has to do with your footage because you have a unique perspective that other people might not have or have seen before. So, you know, I just wouldn't be scared to cut it up into little pieces that are, um, you know, some of our, our animation segments, uh, we cut our animation into like three parts. And the first animation segment, I think, has like 20,000 views, you know, on Facebook. Whoa. And we really bar- barely boosted it or anything. But a lot of families have, have found our movie from, you know, seeing that animation video or whatever. Charlie, uh, Charlie, what's his name that Charlie did that Canfield, for you? Yeah, did a great, great job. Spent like... <laughs> probably over 25 or 30 hours just on the phone trying to explain um, the biomechanics, I guess, of, you know, what's happening in the body with this leaky gut and the brain inflammation and the toxin exposure. And uh, so I highly recommend checking it out just for that because I think everybody will be enlightened to see, uh, you know, how our body is bombarded with all of this stuff and what it looks like on a biological level. Well, tell us where people can go to see that. So uh, the short videos are on our Facebook channel if you go to the videos section. Or, uh, of course, we also have a screening for the whole month of April, which is free. Um, And there's links on our website, restoringbalanceautism.com. And also if you search on Facebook, Restoring Balance Autism, or you can search the whole name, Autism Recovery. Um, You know, our Facebook page comes up, and a lot of our short videos are there, and we've also put them on our YouTube channel uh, as well. Okay, and the uh, that is the best animation I've ever seen. When I saw that, I, I everybody I knew I had to send it to because it's the first time that I really understood the brain-gut connection and how important it is. And now I know why I can't eat gluten and I can't eat uh, so many things that I gave up. But it was, there was a good reason for it because I always got sick after I ate it. I call myself the, the canary in the coal mine we go to a new restaurant, which I seldom do, but when we do, I'm the one that can tell you 30 minutes later if the, how many chemicals they had in the food and how bad <laughs> it was. So I have found like four restaurants I can eat at in Ventura with hundreds of restaurants, but I'm very um, sensitive to that kind of stuff. Uh, and that 
your animation is superb. So thank you for putting all that time into it because it really shows Charlie got it. Yeah, um, I, I think, and his willingness too. We had to have a couple doctors take a look just to double check some some of the stuff that we came up with, and uh, luckily we only needed a few minor adjustments. But um, he was, yeah, very patient with that. It was a very new topic, so uh, but I'm glad he took it on because yeah, a lot of families it's really helped it click, and and I think that helps with the motivation because honestly, like you said, being sensitive it's one thing to live through pain um some of the families don't know their kids are living through pain but either way it's a sacrifice that you have to make in your food choices and so the more motivation you can have to do that the more understanding you know the better (laughs) yes the more motivation and and it's understanding that is uh so clearly defined when you look at that you really get the connection uh which means a lot and i I like to inform filmmakers, if you've got any guidance you can give us today about food and diet for filmmakers, because the majority of filmmakers are under so much stress to get all the work done. They have to produce it, write it, direct it quite often. They're so busy, and that's the one thing they don't put the time into is buying. It takes time to eat right. You have to buy the right foods, and it's work to chop them up or cook them and all that stuff. So you can't just run down the street and grab something and stay on a healthy diet. Um, so what? let's give some suggestions because you, you've kept me healthy over these couple of years that we've been working together. It's been fun. Thank you. Um, yeah, I only, you know, these children and this story had taught me um, – I had to learn to take care of myself because I think, you know, a lot of filmmakers are on a lot of coffee or, you know, they go out and they wake wake up the next day. If they've had anything to drink, they feel groggy, so they have more caffeine. And, you know, the, the caffeine cycle is one thing, but also, like you said, just running down the street and always grabbing something arbitrary. Um, eventually, you'll become sensitive if you're not. And you can still perform a lot better, you know, like – Energy is the currency of life. I, I, I've, I love that expression. And, you know, inflammation is going to take away from that. And, I mean, if you want to be in the top 10% of your field, you know, you're going to want to have as much energy as you can. <laughs> um, and you want to be able to think clearly, like, you know, coffee and running on those unnatural sources of energy is going to give you a different kind of focus uh, versus a, a regular clarity of not having brain fog or not just feeling tired or not relying on, um, you know, those artificial things. I mean, I myself had kind of a bit of an autoimmune thing going on when I started this project, uh, had this like varicose vein. It was bothering me for like three years, had some pain, and the only option they had was surgery to cut it out. I wasn't really into that. And, um, you know, on only like two weeks into a gluten-free and dairy-free diet, that pain went away. And, you know, when I started having, like you said, eating out certain places maybe that I didn't know what was in things, I would start to have the pain again. And it's like, how are you going to edit or how are you going to go film if you have this in the back of your head that you're either, you know, I had another friend who uh, 
I helped out who had migraines frequently, and she was an actress. You know, so it's like, how are you going to go perform your best if you don't know what day you might get a migraine or what day you're going to be living in pain? Uh, how are you going to perform well? You see, you have to figure out something to get control of that so that you can perform your best. And usually food is one of the main things. You know, Hippocrates didn't say that for no reason, but all disease does begin in the gut. So, yeah, take a look at your diet because I've identified so many things that that bother me. And, And it doesn't matter if it's organic or sometimes vegan or whatever. You have to still see you might have an individual food sensitivity that you have to identify, but the more you do that, the better you're going to feel, you know, and the better all your projects and all your relationships and everything will be because you feel better. Yes. Yes. It's a major difference. I'm telling you. And, uh, I had a, a friend who wanted, well, she was way overweight, Ryan, and she had to lose weight. So I sent her that recipe you gave me that the autistic children use not telling her that it came where it came from, and I sent her all the stuff to use. I bought it and, and shipped it to her, and she was felt so guilty she did it, and she lost. She used this instead of food, but you know the the uh, she's got everything in there to keep her healthy. So she used that for one meal a day, and she lost a hundred pounds over three four months, and she was wow. thrilled. So, uh, because she got, she started feeling better than she'd ever felt before, you see, from the nutrients. Yeah, honestly, you know, I, I, I have another term I've said that a lot of people are like living in deficiency. Um, you know, you, you don't know. It's like that expression, you don't know what you don't know. You know, you, you might not know what it's feels like to to feel good because you've been in an inflammatory state for so long or, you know, the migraines have been part of your life. I mean, my cousin had ongoing migraines and they found out it was these candles that she was burning in her house, you know, these toxic candles. And it's like, you just have to identify it might not be food. Maybe there's something in your environment that's bothering you. Um, But eventually you're going to have to deal with it if, if you want to perform your best and um, so that's what this documentary has kind of shown me, and that's why I would, you know, it, even if someone's going to, most people are going to have children someday, and so I would highly recommend watching it for the main reason of, like, if you want to know how to prep for the pregnancy, you want to make sure you're doing all this detox stuff before the pregnancy and so that everything's healthy before you get into that. But it, it's best to know about it for the sake of your creative projects, your family, and you know, ongoing, because it's also connected to a lot of other issues like rheumatoid arthritis, Alzheimer's. There's a lot of these similar mechanisms that the kids have that affect uh, older adults, you know, later in life or even middle life. We're seeing now like skyrocketing rates of uh, MS, you know, that they've said. And so people are affected by a lot of problems and they can uh, take control of it. Right. So uh, tell us, uh, because I think that filmmakers would really benefit from your film, not only uh, the information about uh, the body and the diet and how the diet affects your thinking, your energy, and your performance, and your brain. I mean, it's really like an effervescence for the brain, some of the things that you have recommended. Uh, You just... 
get great ideas, uh, you're quick with solutions, and you're confident. Uh, there's something about good health that builds more self-confidence. Do you find that? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, being able to identify, you know, why you're feeling that way or being more resilient can help you, you know, build more confidence later. And it can be as small as, you know, like I said, sometimes when you have a shoot planned or an interview or something, you know, that date is set and the show must go on. And so if you have a migraine that day or you're feeling tired that day or brain fogged or whatever, you know, it, it has to happen. And so I think that when you play like a defense by eating healthy foods, then you'll always feel more ready to face the day and face those other challenges. Um, and, you know, biochemically, there's a lot of things, like I said, um, I mean, not that I don't consume coffee, but I have to be aware of, like, limitations with coffee. If I have too much, you know, it aggravates my emotions, it aggravates my body. Um, and I think that, again, a lot of filmmakers are, like, living on that. And if if you are having either sugar spikes and crashes or caffeine spikes and crashes, um, you're going to respond to disappointments and problems on set or in interviews or in the editing room or whatever, um, you know, not as well. No, that's right. You're not going to be at your peak, and you really need to be. <clears throat> Filmmakers have so much uh, to learn and to do to produce an independent film. It's an incredible achievement when you get it finished, but there's thousands of hours of detail and and focus and just plain hard work. So I think the most important thing is to put your health first. And if you're going on a set, take the food you know you're safe with so that you always have something to eat with you. I do that. Um, and I um, am careful about the restaurants I go in, but I've even taken food inside of a restaurant before where I could be with friends who want to eat whatever they want to eat, and I'm not about to eat it. So, um, And one of our old, one of the great filmmakers uh, who was a, an actress, she used to take her own food into the Brown Derby because uh, she refused to eat some of their food. And they let her. It was a lot of fun. So take take uh, your health seriously and focus on you and and keeping you healthy because that way you your film becomes so much more fun and enjoyable. Right? It's health is the bottom line. Yeah, you have to take a little bit of time to invest in it. I know it, it sometimes like filmmakers don't like to take breaks or they think they can't have time to slow down, but um, it, it feeds you at like a root level. Uh, so, you know, I just encourage you to spend a little bit of the extra money, a little bit of the extra time uh, to change that because you can operate at a higher capacity and probably save money anyway somewhere else in the long run. Absolutely. Well, now what's happening with the film? Are you going to continue? You say uh, for 2022 you're going to do uh, virtual screenings all year, and then are you talking to distributors? Um, so we haven't talked to distributors yet. The next phase that we really want to tackle, and we've done some of this already, 
um, like I said, with the partners, and I'll I'll blame one of my asks uh, recently because it it went through, but it was it was kind of a bumpy ask, and I know sometimes filmmakers are worried about that process. Um, but you know, with that group, it was uh, we had kind of known them. They they had a similar motivation to get this biomedical uh, message out. And, you know, we were asking uh, for $10,000 to help finish some of the distribution things in order to, like, do translations and just other final things. And when we had this meeting, um, it was with a group of individuals, not just one. And, you know, the issue in the meeting was that the – the person who was giving the donation usually preferred to meet people in person, but, you know, they were in New York and uh, I was here and didn't really have the ability to travel at that point. But, you know, they set up this meeting. They were willing to do it that way. And, you know, this gentleman didn't really like Zoom meetings and stuff because of the technical issues or, uh, you know, just hardness of hearing sometimes. And the rest of the group was able to hear me okay, but they did realize that, like, they had my Zoom presentation up on a screen, and it was not synced up with my audio, so it was all over the place. And oh, my the, the guy, the, the head guy, you know, who was making the decision is, like, he said to them in the middle of the meeting that he really couldn't understand or, you know, hear it because it was throwing him off. And so uh, in the middle of the meeting, I was, you know, not – feeling as confident about all of that. Um, you know, they, the rest of the group, uh, there were about five or six other people that were asking me questions. So I still tried to go on, but they were going back and forth. Like, should we just end the meeting and switch to a phone call or, but they kept asking me questions. So I just kept answering. And, um, you know, uh, afterwards just tried to stay positive and focused about it. And then what I did is I recorded my own little like five to seven minute pitch like yes. I, I just summarized kind of like what we talked about on my phone, like a phone video, and I emailed it to them, you know, uh, just kind of appreciative of all the stuff and apologizing about the sound issues. And, you know, so that seemed to help a lot. Um, but I just wanted to let other filmmakers know, because also I think over two months went by after that ask, and I didn't hear anything from them. So I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, what happened? <laughs> and uh you know, uh, two and a half months later, they got in touch with me and, and let me know that everything was good to go. So, um, you know, just stay confident in your asks and, and have that backup plan to send a little video. I just tried to be personable um, and acknowledge the problem, you know, and uh, I, think, I think that helped. So, but, you know, Keith's courses and all that prepped me for the confidence to get in those meetings, you know, to begin with. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yes, um, when technology goes off, you can always go back to your own talents as a filmmaker and make a little film, and that saved the day, I'm sure. He was able to sit there and look at that and analyze you because people make decisions about people, Ryan, and do they like you and do they trust you? And that's the first decision they want to make. And if they get over that, if it's a yes, I do like this man, 
then what is it all about now? Let me take a real look at what's going on here. So obviously you came across as an honest, sincere, dedicated person, and that turned the thing, turned it around for you. Yeah, and and so you know we're going to try to use like that format and motivation to continue to ask for more partnerships and to get into what you asked of our next steps. Um, aside from the PBS broadcasting. Uh, we really want to also reach out to educational organizations, institutions, um, not just like universities, but all kinds of like functional medicine doctors, naturopathic doctors, uh, you know, practitioners who already kind of have gone through this and understand biomedical treatment, but maybe haven't had like a tool or a resource to present to their clients or help other colleagues basically get trained up on it. Because, I mean, the main motivation for this film, uh, of course, I would like to be able to get some more finances to start the next one. Um, but educational institutions we identified are going to have, you know, probably more access to money than, let's say, the families. And so... You know, we're, we're going to try the PBS route with various organizations and the underwriting, but I really think there's a huge market to be tapped into, and everybody's project is going to be different, but I just think that there needs to be a re-education on autism right now. And I think putting this film into the hands of all the educators and the other practitioners that train other doctors is really going to help turn the tide to make everyone else aware that biomedical treatment is a possibility, is a reality, and is something that, you know, they should look into further. Oh, definitely, because we don't really know. Uh, all we know about autism is that it's there forever. You can't change it. You can't get well. It just is. And where it comes from, we don't know. There's there's no idea. People have no idea. Anyway, and so it, this is wrong. All of that is bad information in today's world. So thank you very much for making such a great film to educate all of us, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it, It's been a, a blessing. They've all the, all the doctors and the parents, uh, it's been very mutually beneficial. Good. Well, let's do this again another eight, ten months. We'll see how you do with uh, Nita and, um, and with your screenings throughout the whole year because Claire and I are truly uh, your top supporters. We want to see you show your film, save lives, improve health in children, and make some money while doing it. That's the whole thing is to get you paid now. Yeah, I would I would love to be able to continue to do this, and, and that's where we hope to kind of pass the torch into the next project and, you know, to be able to fund things ongoingly because uh, I think the autism topic is only going to keep growing. Uh, as we said, it's growing at an exponential rate, meaning it's not going to flatten anytime soon because it's kind of going straight up. So I think that, uh, you know, they call certain topics evergreen topics for documentaries. Yes. And I would say if other filmmakers are going to get into something, if you can pick something like that, that can live on longer. Because I think definitely that's one of the benefits of our film is that it's going to be able to run for a long time uh, and be very relevant. Definitely.
Well, congratulations on what you've done so far, Ryan. It's excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, I always appreciate uh, the chance to talk about it and, and, you know, get the word out about the project and, uh, yeah, to hopefully enlighten other filmmakers to take care of themselves uh, throughout the process of making a film. Yes. So tell us again how we can see those um, great films and the animation on the brain-gut connection. Yeah, so our website is restoringbalanceautism.com. And a lot of our short videos are also on our YouTube. If you just search Restoring Balance Autism, uh, same thing on Facebook. Uh, we have, you know, postings for our current screening with Show and Tell, and then a lot of the short videos as well. Uh, so, yeah, please check out our website, social media. And uh, for the entire month of April, the Restoring Balance documentary is free. So if you want to check it out with your family, uh, please do so. Okay. We'll do that. Thank you very much, Claire. Thank you so much for helping with the show. Yes, as always, it's an honor. And, Ryan, I always learn so much when we have you on the show. Thank you again. Yeah, all, always great to be here. Thanks so much, Claire, and thanks, Carol, for having me. It's it's always a pleasure. Okay, great. Best of luck. Bye. All right. All right, thanks. Have a good one, guys. Okay. Bye. All right. You too. Bye. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.